This is a bonus episode, Henry Kissinger's Radiation Treatment. I'm Peter Kornbluh, a senior analyst at the National Security Archive in charge of the Cuba Documentation Project, uh, which has led me to investigate the Havana Syndrome and uh, some of the precedents in history. Peter Kornbluh has been digging up records for some time about the history of the Moscow Signal and how it relates to the current controversy over Havana Syndrome. He's documented just how deep U.S. government concerns were during the Cold War about the Moscow Signal and how the issue ultimately led to some sharp confrontations between U.S. and Soviet leaders, even as they, somewhat oddly, joked about it. Let's go into the history a little bit, because that's a, a part of what we want to do here. What is the Moscow signal? The Moscow signal is a, a reference to a microwave beam, a radiation beam, a set of beams, actually, that were directed at U.S. Embassy Consulate building in Moscow starting in the early 1950s when the building was uh, first uh, built. And by the early 1960s, the CIA had identified the fact that from a building across the street, the Russian intelligence was beaming some kind of directional modulated uh, microwave radiation towards the building for hours uh, a day. What was the purpose of this beaming? What were the Russians doing? You know, when it, when it was first really identified and U.S. officials began to focus on it, they had no understanding of uh, what it was. They, they debated the purpose of it ad nauseum and came up with three early theories. One theory was that it was almost a Manchurian candidate kind of intent that was to use microwaves to control the behavior or debilitate the behavior of the U.S. officials in the building. Another theory was that this was an effort to jam the U.S. intelligence uh, gathering operations that were going on out of that building. And another theory, which seems the most clear and obvious, was that these microwave beams were needed by the Russians to both activate and interpret the listening devices that they had secretly hidden in the walls of the embassy building when it was built. And that became the prevalent theory of what the Moscow signal was about. And in fact, in 1976, when the whole scandal broke, the U.S. military, the Pentagon Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, wrote a memo to President Ford saying, you know, this is likely an activation and interrogation. That's the word that intelligence community uses, interrogation system for these bugging devices. And, you know, if you make a big deal out of this, then we're going to run into problems, too, because we we basically use similar technology. But at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, the American ambassador absolutely wanted his government to make a big deal out of it. A rather tenacious and courageous ambassador, Walter Stossel, starts pushing Kissinger, Secretary of State Kissinger, to do something about this because the beam is getting stronger, it's lasting longer, a third beam, a second beam is there, a third beam. And the reports start in June of 1975 from Ambassador Stossel pushing Kissinger to do something about this because Stossel, who actually is ill and has been diagnosed with leukemia and will eventually a few years later die of that, 
It's basically saying, you know, I think we need to protect our personnel here from exposure to this. And some of them are getting exposed for 9, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. And it's becoming clear that this could be a health hazard to the people in the embassy. And this all became public in early 1976 and created a huge uproar. And so the information from the embassy personnel about this constant exposure to low-level radiation was withheld. And to try and salvage U.S.-Soviet relations in the era of detente, Kissinger just didn't want to go public with this. Although when he was pressured by his ambassador, he started to call on the phone Anatoly Dobrynin, the Soviet ambassador to Washington, and press him, basically saying, you have to turn the signal off because otherwise we're going to have to go public with this, and that's going to create its own set of problems. And I brought with me the transcript of one of Kissinger's discussions with Dobrynin, if you're, if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, in let's it. hear. This is uh, from what's called a telecon, telephone mm. conversation. Kissinger secretly taped all of his phone calls, just mm -hmm. like Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. And he had his secretaries uh, every day transcribe those tapes. So he had 30,000 pages of transcripts of all of his phone conversations. And the ones that are obviously most important are, are ones like, like this one. He took these transcripts with him when he left office to help write his memoirs for which he was paid millions. And here's one dated December 9th, 1975 where Kissinger calls up to Brennan and says, I want to talk to you about the signal. What signal? The, the Soviet ambassador kind of jokes back. He knows damn well what signal. That beam you are beaming into our embassy in Moscow, Kissinger says, maybe you could turn it off until I get there. Kissinger is scheduled to go on a state visit to, to, to Russia to discuss detente and nuclear issues and, and uh, nuclear control issues, et cetera. <laughs> to Brennan jokes, and then you could switch it on again. Kissinger, you could give me a radiation treatment. To Brennan, then you would be radioactive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Kissinger says, look, we're really sitting on it here, but too many people know about it. We will catch hell unless we say something is happening. And then Kissinger calls to Brennan again uh, when he doesn't get you know, any response, the signal's still going on. Kissinger, now there are three signals going into our embassy and the number of hours they operate is doubled what it used to be. Now it operates 18 to 19 hours a day. It used to be 10 hours a day. To Brennan, well, I think you've done your utmost. You even brought the president and Brezhnev into this. In fact, according to documents obtained by Kornbluh, Leonid Brezhnev, the Soviet leader at the time, responded to a letter from then-President Ford and basically denied everything. And Brezhnev writes back and says, you know, as we've told you all along, this is just an industrial radiation that has, is at very low levels, has no impact on, on health. We've been telling you this for years. There's factories down the street and they're emitting radiation. Ambassador Stossel died of leukemia in 1986 at the age of 66, but whether that in any way can be linked to microwave radiation at the U.S. Embassy was never established. Um, were there health effects that people in the embassy were suffering from? There were anecdotal effects. Obviously, you have a huge community of people. Only after this all became public 
in early 1976, did the State Department commission, you know, a significant medical study of personnel to try and track and see if there was significant illnesses. And that study, which was very short term, didn't find any evidence of significant illnesses because of this exposure. But that did little to tamp down concerns among U.S. officials at the embassy in Moscow, fueled in part by a report from the American Foreign Service Association that U.S. personnel were at risk. That particular report illustrates the panic that went through the embassy community. And, you know, beyond the Moscow embassy community to other diplomatic communities in other Eastern European countries and, and, and even elsewhere. And I think that panic and that lack of transparency is very similar to the panic that went through the embassy in Havana when finally U.S. head of the embassy, Jeff De Laurentiis, briefed the embassy personnel on the so-called Havana syndrome and some of these uh, injuries that were being reported. And very similar to what happened in Moscow almost 40 years before, he said to them, you can't tell your your family what's going on. Even though these injuries are happening in your own house, in your own residences, you can't tell your family members what what I've just told you. And a, a panic ensues and great resistance. And more than 80 people go off to Miami to get tested for neurological problems only a handful of which really, a couple of handfuls, really have any uh, serious injuries to, to share. So you see a parallel between the way the U.S. government responded to these reports in Havana with the way it responded to the Moscow signal. Secrecy, the lack of transparency, the um, kind of efforts to hide intelligence operations and spy versus spy issues, the effect that that had on the diplomatic community in Moscow, very similar to the effect that it had on the diplomatic community in Havana. The U.S. government's handling of both the Moscow signal and the Havana syndrome were very similar. Delay, delay, keep quiet, not share information, excessive secrecy, take some steps, but very quietly and limited. And then ultimately, just because of rumors that were spreading and the inability to contain the scandal, everything going public and a lot of political pressure coming to the fore to do something about an issue that still remains a mystery. 